Well, if you are a guest with us, my name is Pastor Jamie, and I come with some really major news that will shock you. Are you ready? The world is messed up. No. Has anybody looked at the news recently? Holy cow. She's like, what now? What now? Yeah, L.A., is, it's got blizzards. Snow in L.A. Kathy's from that area, not L.A. itself, but... So this is like shocking, horrible news for her, but I, I don't know. I've just been paying attention to the news lately, and I don't know if you guys have. Uh, for a while, I had, as a practice, I didn't watch the news because it was just getting me down, man. But uh, it, it's really a downer. It's kind of like you watch the news, and it's a, it's a train wreck with a toxic chemical fire that's polluting the water and air. Oh, wait, that's actually happening. It's not just like one. It actually is. Uh, I just keep thinking about it. It's like I look out at the world and I go, oh my gosh, this place is just absolutely broken. It is a mess. Nothing is working how it's supposed to be. We had an earthquake in Syria not very long ago. 47,000 people died. That's more than the population of Pullman. 47,000 people died. And you know what? It was made worse because there's a war in Syria, you know, a political war going on. And so aid isn't able to get into the people that need it. There's the dictator of Syria is causing, he's he's confiscating aid and taking a set up roadblocks so that aid can't get to the people who are starving and thirsty and who have their, their own dead to deal with there. Then there's the war not very far away from there in Ukraine. And uh, it's starting its second year now. And eight thousand Ukrainian civilians have died so far and over 200,000 military casualties on both sides. And just because of that one war, there are 5.2 million refugees, people that cannot live in their homes in their country, and they are trying to make their way in the countries surrounding them. Speaking of refugees, there are 53.2 million people currently displaced within their own borders because of natural disasters, drug-related violence, political and military conflicts, the loss of resources like through drought or fire. 32.5 million more refugees outside of that are seeking help and a new life in another country, whether legally or illegally. And this is the stuff we talk about on the news, right? People trying to get into the United States to make a life. And is it safe? Is it dangerous? They're using our resources. 5.3 million of those people, though, are in need of international protection because they're being persecuted by their religion, their ethnicity, or because they know something they shouldn't. These are people in danger for their lives. 5.3 million people in the world right now who fear for their life. And then there's the droughts in the U.S. 43% of the United States itself is currently in extreme drought situations. 2.3 billion people around the world don't have enough water for their livestock or to grow sufficient food. The numbers showing that, that in Italy and in Portugal and places like that, 30 to 40% of their crops are being reduced because of water. So not only do we have, not have water, but there's a food shortage. East Africa alone has 44% of those people that are in uh, water insecurity, 2.3 billion people. Approximately 18 million people in eastern Africa are facing severe hunger. Ethiopia, Somalia, and parts of Kenya are in famine. And all of that is not to mention the wildfires in the United States, the racial division, the riots, homelessness, inflation, and then our own personal brokenness inside, right? Our own pride, our own selfishness, our own anger, our own guilt, our own shame, all these things that get in the way of loving one another. When I look at all of this, I go, dang, this world is messed up. Life is not fair, and I wish it were. I don't know about you, but I would really 
like things to be different. Would you? I mean, I'd just like to see a world that looks so, so different than the one we live in, where our neighbors are living peacefully together, where people aren't living in fear, or they're not living in lack, where we're able to acknowledge our differences and work through them toward common solutions, where we can care for one another and love one another and share with one another, and that this world would be at peace, that everybody could go to bed at night and not worry about having what they're going to face waking up in the morning. Now, why in the world did I start there, right? I mean, like, usually we try to start sermon with a joke. We try to start with something funny, something fun. And then I dive in with, like, all of the bad news for the last year. <laughs> but this is good. This is good. Sort of. It's bad. <laughs> but it is good. We do need to have our eyes open to it. And the reason I'm starting here is because we're starting a new sermon series. We're starting a new season of the church calendar. The, the, new, the season of the church calendar is called Lent. And if you're not familiar with the liturgical church calendar, we've been living into it here at Pullman Foursquare. We're celebrating Lent, L-E-N-T, not Lent, L-I-N-T, right? It's not the stuff you find in your dryer or your belly button. We're talking about the season of the church. Yeah. I had to go there, didn't I? My sound person gave a great sigh over the fact that I did it. She said, oh, I can't believe you did that. It would have been worse if Heidi was here. Um, anyway, so I, did, I had to pull in a joke somewhere because we had such bad news to start with. So we're not, we're not looking at drier Lent. We're looking at Lent, the season of the church calendar, which actually comes from the old English word meaning springtime. It's the season that happens between winter and full spring. Okay, so full spring where the flowers come up and winter where everything is frozen and snowy, you get that thaw, everything is muddy, and then you go out in the garden and you pull up all the dead stuff, you clean all the leaves out of your grass. It's that space, this little bit of time where you do this work. It's not, nothing's growing, nothing's alive yet, but it is not full winter. And that's what Lent stands for. It's the 40-day period that happens between Epiphany, which we talked about last week, and, and Easter Sunday. And here's the thing. I'm not a math person. You guys all know that. But if you went and looked at the calendar and actually did the math, it turns out that it's not 40 days, even though they tell you it is. During Lent, we tend to move toward things like fasting. We, we, we give things up in order to get closer to God, in order to prepare the soil and the garden. You know, we go out and clean the things out. We take things out of our lives that keep us from getting close to God so that we can turn and face Him fully. Let's talk about repentance and things like that. Well, the reason it's not a full 40, or not just 40 days, it's like 46 or 48 days, is because Sundays don't count during Lent. So if you've been fasting, I want to tell you that the traditional church fast ends every Sunday, and you get a, you get a free day. You get a day to celebrate. You get a day to remember, because every Sunday of Lent is Easter. We remember that even though we are far from God, on Sundays we come together and we celebrate, and Jesus is still alive, and he has saved us, he has rescued us, and then we go back into our spiritual discipline on Monday. Does that make sense? It's pretty cool. It's actually one of the oldest church celebrations. It predates Christmas. Everybody's like, oh, Christmas is the best church holiday. It may be the best church holiday. It's pretty great. And then Easter, I'd say, is also really great. But Lent is older than both of them and celebrated longer than both of them. Um, I, it's, like, it's pretty awesome. And when we say celebrate, it's not like celebrating a birthday, you know. It's not like... I'm going to say Lent. This would be like it's like a celebrating a birthday by not eating somebody's cake, right? But what it is, it's, it's a celebration by observance. It's a celebration by giving up. It's a celebration by returning. The difference between Epiphany and Lent. So Epiphany was what we celebrated last time when we talked about it's all looking at all the aha moments, right? 
the, the moments where Jesus shows up and people go, there's something different about this man. He's not just an ordinary man. We look at the miracles, we go, oh my gosh, this is the Son of God. There's something amazing about this person, and he is coming to rescue me. Aha! We have moments of revelation, of epiphany. Well, in Lent, instead of aha moments, we have oh me moments. Because the revelation is about ourselves. It's a revelation about the truth of who we are. The places where we are prideful, the places where we are greedy, the places where we are angry, where we are hurt, where we are whatever we happen to be, the places where we are personally broken, in all the brokenness of the world, my part of it, and we look at it and we go, oh, me, oh, me, God, I need you to save me, God, I need you to rescue me. There are things that stand in the way of God's love in my life. There are things that stand in the way of God's peace in me and in the world. And Lent is the season where we work to remove everything that stands in the way of love. And that includes the world that we live in. All of the hurt, all of the, all the injustice, all of the horrible things that are going on. Christians are invited during Lent to remember that we are not the sole center of the universe, but there is a God and it is not us, and God is at work in this world. So for the next several Sundays, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at how God is at work in the world and how we can join him in that and to remove the things that stand in the way of love. And we're going to bring missionaries in uh, to come and share with us next week. I think it's March 5th next week. Is that right? Am I doing the math right? Next week is March 5th. So we're having a, a, a pastor to homeless people from Portland. His name is Bruce Arnold. We've been supporting him as a church for probably six or seven years now. And he's going to come and share with us about how he is helping to repair the breach in Portland, how he is helping lift up homeless people and bring them into homes and into jobs and to get them off the street and to do it in the name of Jesus, not just because it's a nice thing to do. And we're also going to hear from Chris Curry, our missionary in Thailand, sharing with us about things that are happening there and how he is helping the Thai native villagers up in the mountains that the Thai people don't care about, the native peoples, and how he is bringing the good news to them, both practically and in word. And we're going to hear from uh, Josiah and Cynthia Hubbard in, in uh, Costa Rica. There he goes. How did I get to go visit them in, next, in April? So we're going to go visit them, and we're getting ready for a mission trip to Costa Rica in December. So after Christmas, mark off your calendar. Like the day out, Just from the day after Christmas, I don't think it'll be the day after Christmas, but from that point to just after the New Year, mark that off if you're interested. And we're going to go down to Costa Rica where it'll be a heck of a lot warmer than it is here, and we're going to go and engage in mission down there. Some cool stuff coming up uh, through this whole month. One of the main texts in this, our scripture for this morning, the main text for the season of Lent is from the book of Isaiah. And if you guys would open your Bibles, we will put it up on the screen. I really do encourage you to have a paper Bible, though. You see where things are at. I have mine open, so you see it's pretty close to the middle uh, of, the, of the Bible. If you see Psalms or Proverbs, head to the right. If you see uh, other unfamiliar names, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Deuteronomy, any weird books like that, go left. Um, we are in the book of Isaiah all the way toward the end in chapter 58. Chapter 58. Um, it's 14 verses long, and that's not very long, really, but I want to read the whole chapter to you. Is that all right? Okay. Don't fall asleep, Doug. Now, Isaiah is a prophetic book, which means that it was a prophet that wrote it, and prophets tend to be pretty snarky people. We read this, we can read it really boring, 
We can read it really flat and really plain, but the guy who wrote it was using, he was dripping with sarcasm, okay? He was just dripping with it, and he was snarky and probably pretty rude about some things here. And so I want you to hear that. But at the same time, I want you to know it's being said to you and to me, not just to people a long time ago. And here's, how, here's what, it, what it says. He says, shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob, their sins. This is God speaking. Yet day after day they seek me and they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, do you, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all of your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such a fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light will shine, will break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger the speaking of evil. If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garland, like a spring of water whose water never fails. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor, Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God, we thank you for your word. Um, even if it's scathing, even if it points fingers at us in ways that are uncomfortable, God, we pray that we would be open, that our ears, our minds, our hearts would be open to you as we listen to your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So we live in a really broken, messed up world. That's where we started. We find that things are broken not just outside, but inside, ourselves. As Paul said, it, we do the very things we don't want to do, right? 
We, we act in ways that we don't want to act. We treat other people in ways we don't want to be treated ourselves. And all those things that we do want to do, are the kindnesses we want to give other people, the times where we want to be able to keep our temper and have patience with people, we don't do it. We do all the things we don't want to do and don't do the things we do want to do, and that's the nature of our broken and messed up world. The world certainly is not the Garden of Eden anymore. When I look at it, I say, oh me, this world needs fixing. This world needs saving. We need a savior, and it's certainly not me. I can't do it. But I realize as I look at this world, and as I look at the injustice, and I'm going to keep using that word. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about justice a bit. When I think about the injustices of this world, I realize that inside me there is a longing for something different. I don't know about you, but when I watch the news, I think, as I said before, I just wish that earthquakes didn't happen like this. And if they had to happen, I wish that our apartments were safe. And if our apartments weren't safe, I wish people were able to get out. And then I look at famines, and I see people starving, and children especially starving, and I think, I wish things were different. I wish there was food for this child. I wish we could make a difference. And I see in that that there is a longing in me. And I hope that when you look at the news, you experience a longing in you, a longing for something different, a longing for something better. Because all change begins with longing. Uh, Many of us in the church are reading a book together in various settings. It's called Sacred Rhythms by this woman named Ruth Haley Barton. And she starts her book with this chapter on longing. And I, I'm reading it with some guys, and I go, guys, this is the hardest chapter in the whole book. It's chapter one. It gets easier after this because longing is so difficult for us, right? We don't, we don't know what we want. Like, we know what we're told we want. We know what we think we want. We, we are told very often what we need. But when it comes down to it, what I really need, what I really long for, that's harder to get in touch with. She says in the chapter on longing that your desire is the truest thing about you. It's the place where God is working in you, that stirring of a desire for something different, whether it's in the world or in yourself, is the very place where the Holy Spirit is prompting you toward change. He's drawing you to him. This is why Jesus asked the question over and over again in the New Testament, what do you want, right? comes up to a man who is laying on the ground for 30-some-odd years, who has no, he's paralyzed from the waist down after an accident of some sort, and he walks up to the man and he says, do you want to be well? Duh, what kind of a stupid question is that? You know, you have a man crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's blind. He hasn't seen his entire life. He has to beg for his living. And Jesus walks up to him and says, what do you want? I mean, if that was today, we would be like, should I slap you now or slap you later? I mean, what I want is to see. And, but Jesus asked these questions because he wants them to get in touch with their longing. Because that is where the Holy Spirit is at work. He wants them to know what it is they want. So when we hear stories in our world reflecting the brokenness of the world, when we see events happen in our own lives, arguments, disagreements, separations, hurts and pains, uh, the ways that we, we live that are damaging to other people, and we long for something different, that's Jesus asking you, what is it do you want? What do you want? We long for justice in the world. We want the world to be made right. We want wars to cease. We long for people to be able to live in safety in their homes. We long for suffering and sicknesses to end. 
We long for divisions to end, suspicion to be lifted, for power to be held with compassion and concern. We long for sickness and suffering to cease. But what about your longing for God? What about in your walk for Jesus? Meister Eckhart once said, he's a, he was a German theologian from a long time ago, said the reason that we're often not able to see God is because of the faintness of our desire for him. This passage talks about all the ways in which we long for God. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read through the list, and I, I rewrote them into my own words so that they make sense for us. And as I read a desire, I want you, if, if you're like, yeah, I want that, would you just raise your hand and keep it up? You know, following what I'm saying? So I'm going to read a desire, and as I, if you're like, yeah, I want that, just raise your hand. It's all, and it's all good. You can want all of these things. I believe, trust me. All right. To know God, I long to know God's ways and God's thoughts. Anybody want? Yeah, okay. How about this one? To have God on your side. Because if God, the Lord is on your side, who can stand against you? You guys are already all got your hands up. I, I'd like to experience healing inside and out. So you need to put two hands up. I'd like to live under the complete protection of God. When I experience hardship and I ask God for help, I want God to answer quickly. We've got to get some feet up now, right? We've got to get some feet up because here it comes. Uh, how about this one? When I don't know what to do or which way to go or what decision to make, I would love to receive guidance from God. Is anybody there? Pretty soon we're going to be standing up, right? All right. Every need that I have, that it would be satisfied by God. Uh, how about this? My weaknesses, that my weaknesses would be strengthened, that I would be strong in my spirit, in my heart, as well as my body. How about the places in our lives, our hearts, our heads, our relationships that have been broken, the places that lie in ruin, that they would be repaired and restored. To actually, how about this one? This is amazing. To actually enjoy God. I mean, so many of us, we work for God, right? We struggle with God. We seek God. But how many of us actually enjoy God? To be able to enjoy his presence, not just need him and not just work for him, but to enjoy God. And lastly, a longing to be Work with God where there is no injustice. Now that all the rights have made, all the wrongs have been made right. They're just all rights now. Everything's all right. You all had your hands up. You put them all down. You got tired because you were like, this is overwhelming. This was all listed in this thing. And, and this is all the things that the Israelites wanted from God. And God was saying, look, you want all of these things, but what you're doing to get it isn't working. Because what they did was they put on a show. They put on a show of religion. They put on a show of righteousness. They, they, they fasted and twisted up their face, as Jesus says in the, in the New Testament. They go about looking like they're just bedraggled so that other people see their, their spirituality, their, their faithfulness to God. Today we call that uh, virtue signaling. You guys ever heard this term? It's a cool term, virtue signaling. What it means, it's like when you go on Instagram I'm, I'm a, or TikTok, I'm using the new ones, guys. So for everybody over 40, it's called Facebook. All right. So when you go on Instagram or TikTok and you see people and they're out there like feeding the homeless and they're videoing themselves, looking at, here's the food for the homeless person. Or they're, you know, they're showing their, how they're, all the good things they're doing, it's called virtue signaling. They're signaling to you. It's not like the left-hand turn signal on your car. We don't, we don't left-hand signal very well or right-hand signal in our cars, but our culture virtue signals and tells one another how great we are. This is what we do, and that's what the Israelites were doing. 
But God says, that is not the sort of fast that I'm interested in. I am not interested in your religious behavior designed to try to make me happy with you or to be approve of you or to like you more. I'm not interested in this, put the coin of my good actions into the slot machine and pull the thing and out comes all of your needs supplied at the bottom. I'm not a genie and I'm not a vending machine. What I am is a God of justice, a God who wants this world to be different. And the reason I have human beings on this earth and the reason I have chosen a people and the reason I have set them apart, the reason I sent my son to save them is that they might go out in the world and do justice. It's our purpose. Now, justice is a trigger word for evangelical Christians. Um, it's, it's become the downfall of a lot of mainline churches who have abandoned the gospel and just started focusing on justice things. We're feeding the poor, working with the hungry, we're working with refugees, but we don't do Bible studies, we don't talk about God, and our worship is just flat. We just forgot about God, but got into the justice. It's also really uncomfortable, uncomfortable for evangelicals because when we start talking about justice, we get accused of being woke, right? The word woke. If you, you care about black lives or you say black lives matter, you're woke. If you uh, care about certain social issues, you're, you're woke. And it's become this dirty word used by a certain side of the political spectrum to point and say you've just, you're, you're off base, you're wrong, and you're just doing this so that you're virtue signaling, basically. I do need to say this right now, that woke is not a bad word. Woke comes from the word awoke, meaning to be woken up. And everybody in this room who is a follower of Jesus is woke because you've been woken up to your spiritual need and the need for Jesus. I was like, ooh, everybody's quiet. Woke is not a bad word, and it is not wrong to be woke, especially if God is the one doing the awakening. As Isaiah 58, God is waking up his people. He is waking them up, and he is waking us up. Sorry, got to take a deep breath after that. So in our modern American political environment, it's difficult to work for justice. I mean, it becomes political, it becomes messy, you get accused of this or that or the other thing. And then on the other end of that, you go, oh my gosh, there's so many issues. Which thing am I supposed to care about? Am I supposed to care about the war in Ukraine? Am I supposed to care about the earthquake in Syria? Am I supposed to care about Haitian refugees? Am I supposed to care about Mexican refugees? Am I supposed, who am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? There's just so much, it's overwhelming. And justice for who? And what is justice? I mean, what is justice for a person who's had their home collapse on them? What is justice? Is that to give them back their home? What is it? We get so confused by all this that we kind of get bound up inside and we don't do anything. <laughs> Paralyzed by the need. So Christians become willing to fast and pray but struggle to do anything and hope that God will sort it all out. We like to focus on living a righteous life instead, going deep in the things of God. And we wouldn't call it a righteous life because that sounds stuffy and religious, but we are living a good Christian life. We're giving, we're going to church, we're not abusing our families, and we're doing these sorts of things. And yet, by our actions of ignoring, ignoring others, by not participating actively in justice issues around the world, we are contributing to the injustice. The word for justice in this text is the same word that is used for righteousness. 
So to do righteous acts, to fast, to pray, to worship, to give, to go to church, to participate in community, to, to do things for God that, that are meant to be acts of worship to him, that's righteousness. It's acting rightly in the world. But God does not separate acting rightly in the world in those religious ways from acting rightly in the world toward others who are in need and injustice. The text this morning takes these two huge desires that we have for outward justice and inward righteousness, and he combines them all together and throws them into this amazing tirade, this hugely sarcastic scripture, scriptural poem to wake us up. It says if you have this desire for God, this desire to actually be light in the world, as we talked about, to be salt and to be light, if you have a desire to be known by God and to enjoy God, to be strengthened by God, if that's what you want, then what you need to do is to seek justice for other people. I would say it this way. It's missions month. There is no missions without justice. There is no evangelism without justice. There's no point to sharing the good news of Jesus if there's no good news behind it. When Jesus came and preached the good news of the kingdom of God, what was he doing? He was going around the countryside healing people. Good news. It was justice. It was restoration. It was healing. This is how we do missions. It's not just preaching something, but it's a correction of the wrongs of the world. Jesus said it this way, For I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. For I was in prison, and you visited me. He corrects the things that stand in the way of love, which is what Martin Luther King described justice as. And I love this quote. Martin Luther King said, Justice at its best is love correcting anything that gets in the way of love. It's love acting so that love can get to the places it's needed. And the text kind of describes it by using if-then statements. If you read through this really closely, many of the sentences will start with either an if or a then. And we'll sometimes in our culture read an if-then statement as, well, if you do this, then I'll do that, right? If, if, you, if you treat me nicely, then I'll treat you nicely back. If you give me a gift, then I'll give you a gift. It's a one-for-one. One. It's an exchange. But the if-thens in this passage are not that at all. It's more like this is just how the world works. So it's more like your car. If you want to drive your car, then you need to put gas in it, right? If you want your computer to work, then you need to turn it on, right? Have you ever tried, have you ever, like, this won't work. It's just nothing's coming up on the screen. Did you turn it on, sir? Did you press the power button? It's just how it works. It's, it's nobody's fault. It's just the way things are. And that's what God says. This is just the way things are. This isn't an exchange. It's not, I'm going to love you better if you do these things. This is how relationship between God and humanity works. If you loose the bonds of injustice, if you remove the yoke from among you, if you offer food to the hungry, then you will experience God. Then the fullness of his love and his care will come to you in full force. This is not a one-for-one, one, a scratch-my-back or an I-scratch-yours, a way of earning God's favor. It's just how life in God works. But again, it's hard, it's big and confusing because where do we start? Where does it begin? How do we seek justice in this world? That is the best question you could be asking yourself today. Because as I started, 
And your place of longing is the place that God is working in you. It's one of the things as a pastor that it's a great privilege to do is to point out in your life where God is working. And right now, if you are experiencing a longing for God's presence, that's God. If you are experiencing a longing for justice in the world, a a, a change, just an environmental change, a political change, any of these things, it's a longing for God that's expressing itself in these places where God is wanting to work. And we tend to stand back from it because we get so overwhelmed by it. But God is inviting you to embrace the longing and to listen to him and to step into something new. So how can we do that? So during Lent, I want to invite you to think about three things. Three ways in which you can begin to get into and to tackle some of these issues of justice around the world and to do it by seeking God. The first one is this, to skip virtue signaling. Okay? and embrace hiddenness. The people of this passage, again, were using their fasting as a signal to others about how great they were. God doesn't need our performance. Facebook doesn't need our performance. Instagram does not need our performance. Our followers and, and uh, friends do not need our performance. So practice doing it hidden. Put your phone away when you feed the hungry. Stop taking pictures of yourself as you do kind, kind acts for strangers. But do it in hidden ways in the name of Jesus. Jesus said it this way, when you pray, do not be like those who pray in the streets. Go into your closet. When you fast, don't pull a nasty face. Just wash your face. Look clean and alive and practice your, your spirituality and your faith for Jesus and not for anybody else. Keep it on the DL, the down low. I don't even know if that's a cool phrase anymore. Ashton's like, loser. (laughs) Keep it on the down low. Because it's not for us, and it's not for you, but it's for God. Secondly, get to know somebody. Get to know somebody. Justice is difficult because we don't know what's happening to people in other parts of the world. We see the news flashes, but they don't have names that we have people we can connect with. Our vision is pretty narrow sometimes. We just see a little part of the problem. How can we help if we don't know what the need is? That's a good question, and it's a great place to start. Follow the longing. See where it leads you. So we're going to be inviting missionaries in the next several weeks via video or live. We also have a guy coming to talk about refugees from Spokane, uh, refugees that we're hosting in Spokane and how we can help them. So people are going to come, and it's a chance for you to get to know somebody and get to know a need, and to see if God is inviting you to put your two cents in, to put your effort into those places to bring justice. And lastly, choose proximity instead of isolation. You're like, I'm not isolated. I'm with my family all the time. I'm with my friends all the time. The thing is, we're generally hanging out with people who are like us. We're generally hanging out with people who look like us and act like us. We listen to the people who think similarly to us. When we turn on the radio and we listen to news or whatever, we choose a radio station that has a bent toward my way of thinking already. That's been called an echo chamber. It's where you get in there and your own thoughts are just rattling around. And honestly, it's annoying to listen to people we disagree with. Right? It is. And some are more annoying than others on both left and right. So when we listen on the radio, we have to disagree in our heads, and we can't tell them like it is, and we can't correct them. We tend to have conversations between one another about books that we read and things that we support, but they're things that we have in common. 
And Jesus is inviting us to look toward the stranger, to look toward the one that is outside of us, to look to the one that's on the edges and on the margins and in other parts of the world who are in need. If we choose to break out of our echo chambers, it challenges our worldview and shows us the places where God is needed. And we're going to have an opportunity to go and meet people come next December in the, in the country of Costa Rica. This is the fast that God has chosen. And when you think about Jesus, you see God fasting. Rather than choosing to remain in heaven, where all is just and right, where angels are worshiping, where he has everything that he needs, God chose to become a man, become a man, not became a man, and to come and walk and live among us and to loose the bonds of the prisoners, to set people free spiritually, to feed the hungry, to restore sight to the blind, to heal the sick and the lame, to touch people in need, and to be with them. That is the invitation of Lent. Not just to turn from things that are sinful in us, yes, that is a part of it, but to turn toward God and toward others, to seek justice in this world, and to embrace the longings that God puts in our heart. So now, as we close, I'd like to just take a minute, and this is what we tend to do at the end of, end of these, these times. We find that if you are not able to be reflective, to reflect on what was said, you never grow. Reflection and, and time to think about something leads to change. And so I want to give you a minute to think about what longing has God put in your heart? What, what longing is God prompting in you, the thing you want to see changed in the world? And how might God be inviting you to pursue Him in it? Let's just take a minute and think about that, and then we'll close. God, we thank you that you are in our longing. This might be a new idea for us. We might be blown away by it. I didn't hear God. I didn't see God. And all of a sudden, when we see our longing, we know we are looking at you. I pray that you would speak in our longing. God, I pray that we would move toward justice as a church and as individuals, and that we wouldn't sit back confused or lost, but we would engage as you call us to engage. God, remember that there is a world outside of our doors that is hurting, that is lonely, that is fearful, that is broken, as broken as broken can be. Uh, we think about places around the world that uh, don't have water, and uh, those who are thirsty, and those who are hungry, who lack. God, we pray that your spirit would be with them. But God, we also pray that there would be a solution, that food and water would come to them. God, for those who have lost their homes, their, their nations, Jesus, we pray your spirit and presence would comfort them. And God, I pray that you would send us to be those people, to be the hands and feet that bring comfort, that bring food, that bring care. The Christian life was never meant to be stuffy and boring. It was meant to be a grand adventure in you. 
So God, break the fear in our hearts that keep us in our seats and call us to go. Make us faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing the doxology as our closing. And I'm going to say the words over you, the things that God says about you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. Go knowing that if you heard nothing else this morning, God is at work in your life and Jesus loves you and we love you too. We'll see you guys next week. Bruce Arnold will be here to share with us about Home PDX, a homeless church in Portland. If you're a guest, Janice has a gift for you right back there. So please meet her there and we'll see you later.